Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Welcome to Business Growth Secrets with Adam Stott and Phil Smith. I'm super excited to be welcoming Phil on. He's going to be an amazing guest. He's somebody that's really traveled business in a fantastic way, where he started off his business career as a franchise owner, taking a franchise, it's only in Guy, before going on to become one of their most successful franchisees, getting up to 28 franchises. He's had an amazing business journey. Somebody's been through so many different types of business, which is why I'm really, really interested to have this journey chat. He's recently had his product range, uh, Phil Smith Be Gorgeous, launched in multiple supermarkets and been doing very well. I bought the product recently myself and I can highly recommend it. So I'm going to have a good chat with Phil today and we're going to explore that business journey and really get to know and pull some golden nuggets out. So welcome, Phil. How are you doing, buddy? You good? Yeah, good, Adam. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, I hope I can uh, uh, tell you a good story. Well, I'm, I'm sure you can. I'm absolutely sure you can. So as we were talking um, earlier on, so we had a good chat backstage before we, we jumped on today's podcast. You were telling me a lot about your story, and I found it really, really fascinating that you started your business as a business franchise owner. Um, and, you know, that you said that almost kind of happened by accident. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about that and what sure. that was like going into that business so I can get a bit of an understanding it was a case of right place at the right time. And uh, I think I've always been, you know, fairly lucky in um, what I do or, or I think maybe most people are lucky is how you ride your luck that determines your, f- your future. But I-, I was looking to open my own shop. I was the age of 21, 22. And I'd witnessed a couple of people in my hometown, Guildford in Surrey. Um, they- they'd done really well out of owning a hairdressing salon, you know, that they had Porsches and swimming pools in their garden and that blew me away that that was achievable through owning a, a hair somewhere. I didn't know that was possible before. Um, so, um, so this was at 21 or 22? Yeah, 20, 21. Uh, I was working for a really successful guy in Guildford, a guy called John Kahn at the time. And, and he had those trappings. You know, he had a brand new Porsche 944 Cabriolet. And, and I just remember thinking, it, well, it blew me away, actually. So from a very young age, and I started working with him when I was about 19, so from a young age, I always had this, um, I want more, I want to succeed in business. And it was him that instilled that into me. So I, I tried to open my own shop on Guildford High Street. And this was, we'd had a recession in the late 80s, early 90s. So this was off the back of that. And every landlord that, you know, looked at my sort of CV or my, you know, background or, or credentials or covenant laughed. You know, they said, there's no chance I'm going to let you take a lease on my shop. And, um, you know, and the, the one that came super close was uh, I needed to come up with a, a five-year rent deposit, and it was 25 grand a year, the rent. And, um, and he also wanted either myself or my parents to guarantee the rent for the next five years. Now, nowadays, you'd take a 10-year lease with a five-year break. In those days, it's like a 
10, 15 to 20 year lease. That was a norm. I, you know, hit the ground head first. In a, you know, it was disastrous. It wouldn't even kick off. But a good friend of mine had just opened Tony and Guy in Guildford. And uh, I think it was the second or third Tony and Guy to open. You know, so Tony and Guy were, you know, a fairly well-known hairdressing brand in the late 80s. Certainly within the trade, you know, we, we knew of them well. But from the public's point of view, maybe not so well-known. But they were certainly on a mission where they wanted to open, you know, 50 to 100 salons overnight. So I remember um, he introduced me to Tony Muscolo from Tony and Guy. And, and I did my meeting and my test and so on. And we identified a, a small city in Salisbury, as the next Tony Guy Salon to open. They'd already done like the M25 area, Richmond, Rockford, Tunbridge Wells, Guildford, Brighton. Um, but they wanted to either go north or they wanted to go south, southwest. So Salisbury was like the, you know, the next sort of big city down from Guildford that, that, that could hold this. And um, so I opened the shop. I was always a little bit skeptical because I, I knew the population of Salisbury was you know, fairly small. I, I came from Guildford, which was 100,000 people. Tunbridge Wells were doing fairly well. They had the same sort of a level of population. Richmond was flying. They had a much bigger population. So Salisbury had a population of about 35,000. So I thought, if anything's going to fail, it's going to be because of that. But I didn't speak out loud about that. And I was too young to have an opinion. But that was in the back of my head. But you, but you didn't. I mean, I was just delighted to be having the, 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 the chance yeah, to have the franchise. Yeah, yeah. And get a go. So I'm, I remember trying to raise the money for this, this thing. So uh, the government had a thing called the Small Firms Guarantee Scheme. I needed around 150000 to open the shop. And I mean, even to, in today's money, that's you know, a significant amount of money. But in back in the 1990, early 90s, it was a huge yeah. amount of money. Yeah. 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 So I remember my parents, and they weren't wealthy by any means, but they, they lent me £30,000. And it wasn't a gift, it was a loan. And my dad stressed, I need this back. Some, you know, this is, and I need it back as soon as possible. This is my retirement money. So they lent me the £30,000 that I needed to get the £120,000 loan. And they say, are you 22 at this stage? 22. So, yeah, I opened the shop at uh, 23. So a couple of months after my 23rd birthday, I opened the salon. So the, the, at this stage, that is huge risk, right? To be fair, if you're talking the 90s, £150,000 in the 90s, I mean, I, I don't know what the impact oh, it, it was big, but, yeah. but you were doing something. I mean, I, I know it sounds quite blasé, but... You were doing something, you know, Tony and Guy's salon looked amazing. No one else yeah. was doing anything like they were. You know, yeah. you had professional shop fitters coming in, you had all these marble, yeah. you know, workstations, beautiful ceramic tiles. It was special. You knew you were going to get something well. And up until I opened, everybody that opened one was sort of doing well. You know, Guildford was doing well. Richmond was flying. Everyone was doing okay. And then along came Salisbury, and, and it, it bombed. You know, it, it was a disaster. Really? Right, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, 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 again, I wasn't so okay with business. Um, I, didn't, I, I sort of knew it, and I, and I knew that if you bring in that and you spend that much, you're going to be left with that much. And, um, but, you know, I just got caught up in the whole machine of it, of it all. And I, I think it's five or six months in, I got my first sort of profit and loss accounts through. And um, and the, the the bottom line figure was showing fifteen thousand and some odd pounds, but it was in brackets, and I and I didn't understand what the brackets meant. I thought it was profit, then it was just how they display profit. And I, and I kept asking myself, well, where is this profit? Where is that fifteen grand? Because it's certainly not in my bank account. And I, and I so I started reading books about P and Ls and and to try and make head and tail of it. Within two weeks or a week um, of, of that profit and loss coming in, obviously my bank manager got sight of it as well. And, and he said, well, basically, on this trend, the sort of aim you're running, you're going to be out of business by Christmas, and uh, we're going to foreclose on you a couple of months prior to that because we want to make sure that the bank gets some of their money back. 
which scared the living daylights out of me. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I knew at that point, I, I you know whatever I do, I'm going to have to work hard at this because my, I, for the sole reason that my parents needed their money back. You know, I knew I couldn't let this fail. And uh, so I really sort of put in, went into not panic mode, but you know, I really studied that how many heads of hair we could colour with one tube of tint, how much sugar we had to buy. And, you know, it wasn't a case of buying things on a monthly basis anymore. I went down to almost buying daily. You, know, you buy a pint of milk, and by God, you'd make that pint of milk last the day for all the clients' teas and coffees. I'd make sure that lights were turned off when you left the staff room. In the hard knocks, basically. Oh, yeah, the hard knocks universe. <laughs> Absolutely. I passed with flying colours a degree if there was one in hard knocks. But but what I did know, you know, the, the, the clients were coming in, they were happy. It's not like we were losing clients or we were doing things bad. I knew that we were doing things well. I just put it down to the fact that we didn't have enough people coming in. It was that simple. There wasn't enough people to come in um, because the shop in Salisbury looked amazing. It was by far and, and uh, why the, the, the best-looking hair salon. The brand was starting to grow a little bit. You know, by this point, there was 10, 11, 12 salons. Tony and Guy were advertising in Marie Claire, Vogue, yeah. L Magazine. So the brand was getting traction. And that's one of the best things about a franchise is, is yeah. all that is take care. You know, I would never have had a clue how to do the PR and marketing for myself. So I think, you know, from a young point of view, franchising, fantastic way to get an intro into a business. So I, I was still, you know, we were a year and a bit in now. And, um, I remember going to see Tony Muscolo and I became good friends with him. You know, he was like a second father to me. And I said, I've got this thing in my head about if I could open another shop in Bath, I like Bath, that had a 110,000 population, good student population as well. I said, I think I, I, I can prove that my theory is correct. And, and if I open that, I, I think it would do three times what the turnover that Salisbury's doing. And therefore, it would actually be a tool to keep Salisbury open until we get it into profit. And Tony sort of looked at me and smiled, and, and he, uh, in his lovely little soft Italian voice, he said, you're a fast learner. And he said, look, you've lost so much money so far, I can't let you go any deeper. So he actually, I, I begged him, and, and he said, look, if you can get the money together, you can do the shop. And uh, so I, I, I remember going to like Tesco's, Marks and Spencer's, Lombard, anywhere where you could get leaflets and till where they would do a loan. Yeah. You borrow six grand here, seven grand there. I've got to say, at this stage, because I'm really enjoying the story, but I, you know, in terms of the lessons here, one of the things that I say to to our clients, you know, if you take out risk, you certainly take out opportunity. And I also yeah. kind of say that you know you need yeah. to get comfortable with finance. But it seems like was this quite natural to you? What was going through your mind? Did you ever have some stages where you're like, oh my god, I, you know, am I going? No, to, or did you just think I will not? No fear. I'm, no fear. No fear. I mean, I'm, I'm completely the opposite nowadays, but I had no fear. I was 20, 23, 24 years old, and I just knew that if this did go completely disastrously wrong, I've got plenty of time to bounce back, you know. But I still was well aware that I owed my parents 30 grand, and they could not afford to lose that sort of money. So that was my pressure in the background. Yeah. But, so I managed to raise all these these fraudulent loans by saying that I needed a kitchen doing up at home. And I, you know, I didn't even have a home. I borrowed money to buy cars. So anyway, I amassed around £65,000 and I opened Tony and Guy Bath, wow. albeit on a shoestring. You know, uh, Bath is a great city and it, it should have been done much better in the early days, but that, that's how I did it. And do, do you know what? Sure enough, that from day one, it was a huge success and it turned over three times what Salisbury turned over on day one. And you can, you can almost draw a graph and the graphs are like sort of running parallel with each other from day one, week one, month one, and so on. And, um, and, and Bath, like I said, it, it then survived. It, it kept Salisbury 
alive and, and, and taking over. But of course, in my head, I think, oh my God, my theory's right. So I was the first Tony and Guy franchisee to have two shops. And, uh, and Tony only let me have two because I was in dire straits and I was going to go bankrupt, uh, you know, before we even got going, really. So I was the first to get two. And um, I went back to him and said, look, you know, um, I've got Salisbury here. I've got Bath there. Swindon, which is just north of Salisbury, I could do this perfect triangle of shops. I can feed the staff because in Bath we had some great staff. We had a lot of hairdressers that wanted to come and work with us because Tony Guy was, you know, yeah, you know really on, a, on yeah. an upward uh, trajectory now. So he looked again and, and he said, Well, you can do it, but you have to bring in a business partner. You can't run three shops yourself. You've just got yourself out of jail. Would you say he was a mentor to you in some ways? Oh, him? yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. A huge, huge mentor in my whole life. Um, and he's so, a lovely guy, is he? You know, I've never really heard much about him. Obviously, know the brand, big brand. You know, yeah, he, he's, not, he's very sadly no, no longer with us. He, he passed a few years ago now. But yeah, do you know what? He spoke at the times. He, he would give you nuggets of advice, and I, and I would think, no, you're completely off the scale here. You're, you're wrong. But as I've gotten older and wisdom kicks in, so on, the, the man has been right on every single thing he taught me, and he taught me an awful lot. I'm very blessed that I got to spend you know good time with him. But I also knew that he was good at what he did, and I, I would feed off him. I would try and get as much time with him as I could. A lot, of, a lot of people don't do, right? It sounds like you. Were, oh, yeah, but, you, you sound like you was a very hungry man, or, or a very hungry young well, man. I just, you know, I used to see opportunities. One, one of the things that blew me away from a younger point of view when I was with John Carn in Guildford working, he used to cut Phil Collins' hair, and that was at the sort of a height of Phil Collins' fame, if you like. He just, you know, he'd done live eight a few years ago, but he had. But seriously, it was an album that he just brought out, and you're probably too young to know of that. But it was a great album, and, and Phil Collins was coming. <laughs> um, he would come in the shop and I was blown away by this whole celebrity thing so when I, I first moved to Salisbury Sting and his wife Trudy Styler they had bought a house just outside of Salisbury sort of north of Salisbury a big country estate and I just wrote them a letter saying if you needed any help with hair or fucking hell and, um, and nothing I heard nothing but a couple of months later they got married or they were getting married and they invited me along to do all their guests for their, their wedding and um, yeah. you know I had a team of about 10 people there that day we were looking after so many people and then i then became you know good friends with sting and his wife trudy over the years and it was a regular doing their hair i'll be at trudy's two three times a week blow drying their hair for her and um, so it, again it was an opportunity why i did that i don't know um it was the same you know uh, elizabeth hurley moved just uh, just outside of bath when she was seeing yeah. hugh grant we wrote her a letter and 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 just things sort of it just worked. And um, so why would you not do that again and again and again? It's an entrepreneurial spirit. That, I, you know, well, do you know what I think when people describe entrepreneurs, I, I'm, I'm sort of quite humble in that respect. And I just think I've winged it so long in my life. No, and, uh, it, isn't, it isn't that. I've trained, like, what I do is I train business owners and I've trained thousands, thousands of business owners now. And what you're talking about is a lot of what is missing a lot of the time is just, to be honest, the balls to go for it. And and also not having the fear of rejection. Or the yeah. fear of failure. Yes. You can yeah, get rid that. of the fear of rejection. You can get rid of the fear of failure. And yeah. actually, why I let someone, and don't even care whether it's coming back or not, and not think about it and just crack on. You know, occasionally yeah. it's going to come in, isn't it? Because you're, That's a really you're, good point. You know, you're going fishing enough, you know. I think if you throw yeah. your throw your rod in, in enough, you, you're going to get some fish. I, I, I also think as well, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I've, I've experienced failure so many times and I've got it wrong so many times. I still get it wrong, but but you don't dwell on that. You know, you can sit back and, you know, feel sorry for yourself and, and mope around for a little bit. But, 
you know, you've got to get up and you've got to keep going. There's still things I, I want out of life now at my age and, um, you know, not not such material things, but you know, I want to see my children with everything. So you, you keep going and, and you keep going and you, you get knocked down again. What was that saying? It was, uh, you get knocked, you get, get back up again. But um, we're going back to the salon story. So we, we got Swindon open and because that had a population of 300,000 people, um, my little theory was working well. Um, and, and it just it rocketed. And, and the guy, my business partner in Swindon, I remember he was sort of month five or six in, and, and he paid cash. He, he bought himself a Porsche Boxster. A Boxster was the latest car to have. And he bought himself a new Boxster and he bought his wife, uh, him and his wife a new house. And, and he was so grateful. You know, one of my favorite franchise partners he was. Uh, you know, always thanked me. He would always send a case of wine every couple of weeks. And, and it, it was just nothing but a success story. Obviously, we were riding on the tails of Tony and Guy. They were, they were investing huge amounts of money in their PR campaign machine and they were winning awards, you know, the British hairdressing awards that used to feature on all the morning TV programs, Lorraine Kelly and, you know, Tony and Guy were always had representation on those programs. So I then, um, in my head, thought, well, you know, we're paying a royalty to Tony Guy, it's 10% of your turnover you pay to them. And I looked at the Channel Islands and, of course, on the Channel Islands you have no VAT. And because it was cast as an overseas salon, Tony said he would do the royalties at 5%. Nice. So, of course, I'm doing the maths here. And I think, well, if I just put this, you've got, you got a lower population, 60,000, 70,000 people in Guernsey. That was my first stop, Guernsey. And I, I thought, but those 60 or 70,000 people, they can't go anywhere else with a haircut. They're all, you know, so yeah. it's like having a town of half a million people on a ratio basis. So again, that one did really well. And it just, this thing kept steamrolling. And before I knew it, we had a couple of salons in Toronto. You know, we had some Canadian staff working for me in Salisbury and their dream was to open Tony and Guy in Canada. So again, I became the investor, lent them the money to get their shares. We borrowed a little bit of money from the bank and we opened two shops in Toronto in, I think that was 1998. And it just happened really quickly thereafter. I was opening three and four shops a year. There was another guy, my friend in Guildford, that I mentioned earlier, Tony and Guy Guildford. Uh, I think Tony played us off against each other. He saw this entrepreneur, no fear thing in both of us. And every time I would see Tony, he'd say, oh, Tim's been in and he's going to open another shop. <laughs> but I would then say, oh, he's not going to go. I it. it was a goal to have the most shops. We were, we were you know, having that friendly battle. I've just got to add in case he does watch this that uh, I, I beat him. And, uh, I had <laughs> <laughs> Not that it bad, but it, of course it didn't matter. I think anyone that, that strives success or, or wants to do well in life, you, you've got that winning thing. You know, you can't lose. Second means nothing. Third means absolutely even less than second. Got to it. It's all about the win in, in whatever you do that I loved. So, uh, like, like I said, I then had a, a young lady working for me in Bath. It was from Australia. And we opened, I ended up opening eight salons uh, with a partner in, in Australia, seven in Sydney and one in Melbourne. Um, I had a fantastic time. You know, I'm, in these days as well of franchising, our rents were, you know, you'd have a great shop in Bath and you'd be paying 30000 a year rent. Whereas yeah. now that same shop would be 100, 120, 130. So it, it was, when I say right place, right time, wage costs were a lot lower, utility bills were a lot lower, business rates were a lot lower. Everything was, um, the, the business model of the franchise was amazing. It was great because every person was being successful. And I think this is a really important thing from any franchise or regardless of the industry that you're going into, but the franchisees have to be successful for the franchisors to make it work and sell it. And I think of, of the latter years, the franchises I hear of, where they're not as successful as they used to be, you know, they're making maybe 
10, 15% more than they would as a good hairdresser, yeah. um, it's not enough anymore. You know, I think people want success. They want to drive sports cars. You get into you're running your own business through, through A, through passion, but also because you are, I think, materialistically driven in more cases than, than not. Yeah. And, and you want the trappings of success. You want to live in a big house. You might want to put your children through a you know, slightly better education. You want to holiday well, you know, regardless of what it is, everyone's different and everyone wants different things. So franchising business models have changed over the years. But in those days, I've got to say Tony Guy had it bang on. They were, they were really good at it. I remember growing up, that was the place. You know, there was one in Chelmsford. I don't know if you know yeah. that. Yeah. The one in yeah. Chelmsford, that was literally the place, you know, yeah. where people wanted to get their hair cut. You know, I, I didn't get my hair cut because I didn't have much money at the time. <laughs> but I literally, I remember it being the place, you know, to yeah. go. I think I might have had my hair cut in there once, mate. Yeah, I did, actually. I remember once, you know. But, yeah, it was uh, amazing. And, I mean, that journey, was there during the franchise years, some ups and downs, Phil, were there, you know, were there years where you had bad years with the franchises or generally was it quite a, quite a smooth ride? No, we, I, was, um, I think it was probably up until about 03, 04, we were just upward only. We were, we were doing well, making great money. Everyone that I was involved with within business was doing well. You know, there was one guy that I, I set up in um, Shrewsbury. So we opened Tony Guy Shrewsbury. And then we went on to open Oswald Street, Telford, and he had a second salon in Shrewsbury. You know, the guy was a millionaire. And um, he, start, he started with me part-time because he did carpentry as uh, was his main thing. And he, he needed to earn more money, so he relearned hairdressing. Same with the guy in Guernsey, Sean. He was a, an ex-pro footballer, had a bad injury. Well, he, he was at Glasgow Rangers, had a bad injury, moved down south, learned hairdressing. Open Tony Guy Guernsey. Did you want to be a hairdresser? I, I read that. Didn't you want no. to be in the police? Was that? Yeah, I was, I was always going to join the police. Dad, Dad was in the military. I didn't want to join the army, but I wanted to do something uniform based. Um, and it just seemed police was a you know seemed like a decent career. Um, but I was a, a too short, and I I failed my exams in my last year at school. My last year. You're passionate. Yeah. Ask about hairdressing. I mean, how do you feel about that? Obviously, we're going to talk about the products. I really want to hear about the product story. So, yeah. I, well. Yeah. Are you actually passionate? Would you say you're passionate about hairdressing? Jeez, I'm, I'm passionate about the hairdressing industry because yeah. it, it's been very kind to me. I've taken every opportunity it's thrown at me and, I, and I've, I've, I've ridden it. So actually creating hair, yeah, I, I guess I am. It was one of those things I just fell into by accident. Um, and again, it was the, this wanting to win thing. You know, I, I, Tony and Guy invited me to the British Hairdressing Awards in 1990. And then I went again in 91. No, yeah, sorry. The first time I went was in 1991. And, um, and I was blown away by these, these awards. I never really won anything at school. I never won anything. And I saw these people winning these things. I thought, I want to have a go at this. Tony and Guy had all that available to us. You know, we had the, the use of a, a, photo, a photographic studio, clothes. You know, they had Vivian Westwood clothes. And it was just brilliant that we, that we had. We could tap into, if you wanted to, you know, not everybody wanted to do that, but I wanted to win a British Hairdressing Award. Again, the first year I entered, I won, which was probably the worst thing I had to because I, was, I became a little bit, not cocky, but thought, oh, this is easy. And I didn't win again for about seven years after that. <laughs> I tried every year, but I, I failed at the last hurdle. And, um, so that, but that just made me hungry for more. You know, I, wanted, yeah. I had to get the second one. And then I, in, in those days, well, no, still now, if you won your, your region three times, you would be put into this hairdressing hall of fame. 
And my, my goal was to be the youngest person to get into the hairdressing hall of fame, which I, I achieved that when I when I got it for the third time. So before I knew it, we had twenty eight Tony and Guy salons, and again I. So I'd, I'd got this passion for hair and, and doing creative things and, and so on and so forth. If, if I just rewind three or four years back from there, Sainsbury's were um, on the hunt to do, um, you know, boots, had the, the whole hair care market cornered. Um, they had like John Frieda, Charles Worthington, Nicky Clark, Umberto Giannini, Tony and Guy. They, they had it cornered. And um, I was in this thing called British Hairdresser of the Year. So I, I progressed. Quite a, quite a bit, and I was up against people like Charles Worthington and Nicky Clark and, and, and so yeah. on. And I was the only person that didn't have my name on a product. You know, normally to get your your product range out there, you had to be either super famous or or you won British Hairdresser of the Year, which was why I was doing it because it was my goal to have my own product range. So I was approached by Sainsbury's to say, you know, would you endorse a brand with us? And Tony and Guy were a little bit hesitant about this; they weren't too keen. But um, I, I said to Tony, look, this is natural progression for me. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've copied you, Tony, in most things I've ever done, yeah. from buying buildings to opening salons to trying to form a product range. It's my goal. I'd love to do it. And he eventually gave in and, and let me do it. And, and so it, it was doing okay. It wasn't, it wasn't setting the world on fire. And I think at one point, it was about 09, Sainsbury's came to me. And this was the same time where, where the salons had changed, which I'll, I'll go back to in a second. But uh, Sainsbury said, look, we, we don't want to do it as a licensed deal anymore. You, the space is there on the shelf. If you want this, you've got to run it yourself. So you've got to buy the stock. Um, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. And, and so on. You know, it's about time we made some decent money from this. And um, and at that time, and we'd gone through this uh, banking crash. You remember when all the banks were shutting down, Lehman's Brothers had yeah. sort of gone bust. And and, um, and I had, um, in this country, we had um, 18 salons. And the, the others were aboard. But the 18 salons all had 25, 30 grand overdraft facilities, which was just the cash flow. It was a yeah. small facility. But I was the guarantor of all of those. My house was on the line. And I remember being on holiday in, in, in America with my children at the time. And I had one of those Nokia phones that opened up. And it was like a fax machine. Yeah. And, um, and I remember getting a fax from my bank. I was with Barclays at this point. And through no reason, you know, the shops were trading okay. They weren't setting the world on fire. We weren't making the profits that we used to, but we weren't certainly weren't losing money. Yeah. And um, but they called in the overdrafts. Gave me seven days to repay. I, I mean, I, I remember look, looking back between two fifty and three hundred k. I yeah. just didn't have didn't have it. And I pleaded with them. And this was while I was on holiday with my family. You know, and it was yeah. just a terrible, terrible time. And I, and I knew of other people that were losing business left, right, and centre. It was incredible. And, uh, I, it was incredible. I actually remember that I was in business myself at that time. Even though, yeah. You know, and I remember what it was like. And it was smaller amount for me at that time. I'm still angry at the bank's behaviour, Adam, because yeah. there was a lot of great businesses that were yeah. just sunk through bank greed. You know, they wanted their assets. I, I had, you know, three or four decent freeholds that I'd managed to buy, you know, the salons I'd opened up. Yeah. I knew I'd be a franchisee in those salons for 10, 15 years. So from day one, I bought the building as opposed to renting it. And uh, that, which again, Tony taught me that. I learned yeah. that from him. I didn't set out to do that. It was just, it just made common sense to me. And that, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm able to, you know. Have you seen the film this. The Founder? I no, I haven't. Have no, you seen the film The Founder? No, no. The, Madonna, the McDonald's story? Not, no, not see, I've, you know, now you've said that I've heard of it. You'll oh, no, have to go and check that out because it was um, Ray Kroc yeah. turned around, similar to what you're saying now, and turns around and says, look, we're not in the burger business. We're in the property business. 
And uh, we, we're, we're going to open these franchises, but we're going to buy the land and build them. All right. And we're going to get this land. And, and that's how they, that yeah. And they, and they ended up one of the most successful, a fantastic film. I'm sure you'd love that. You should check that you out. See, Tony from uh, Tony Guy, I'm, I'm sure it was well over 300 freeholds he had um, yeah. at, at one point. So, you know, and he did really well on them. I remember he bought one. We, we were in Canada looking to, for sounds in Canada. And uh, he got a fax through on his little Nokia fax machine. And, and he, he, he had secured this building in New Oxford Street in, in central London for his oh, academy. And, and I'm sure, you know, I mean, don't quote me, but it, it was like 600,000, 700,000. It was like a huge amount of money. Mm. But, I mean, what is that worth now? Millions. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so um, the, the banks, they, they said, you know, we're going to foreclose if you can't raise the money. We'll call in our – and I said, well, the, my buildings have grown in value. And they said, no, they haven't. They've plummeted in value over the last year. They're, they're worth less than half. And all our securities for your loans are on those buildings. So we now want a first charge on your house. Mm. And, yeah, so uh, I, I managed to talk the bank into giving me 28 days to repay the overdrafts. And I raised the money and I paid the overdrafts off. But I vowed at that point I would never, ever put my house on the line. Every I've got to get out of this. It's a lesson that, you know, it's an incredible, like the, the story that you're telling, there's so many business owners, like it's different types of business owners. So if you're a business, there's business owners that are very risk adverse. And yep. there are business owners that do not care about risk. Like I'm the, I was the same as you. I built my first business up and I, I signed millions and millions. I had like 8 million in personal guarantees at one point. You know, like I just never thought I was going to lose. So it didn't no. really matter. But, you know, there was times along the way that my dad was saying to me, you sure you should do that? You sure you should do that? exactly the same. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of just had this mentality of just go for it. And But you do... I think, like you said, you have to get sensible, didn't you? Some stuff. Yeah, when I when I bought my first freehold, it was the Bath Building, and it, and it was six hundred and fifty thousand. It's a huge amount of money. You know, my my house in those days was about two hundred thousand. So to buy a building, again, absolutely mind blowing. But I managed to do it. But one of the things I, I forgot all about was stamp duty, and so we had exchange contracts, and it was the day or the day before, or two days before, I got my completion statement from my lawyer, and um, and I had my deposit. It was all ready to go. But I didn't have the stamp duty, and it was about 25, 30 grand. And, um, and I remember getting the statement, oh, God, what have I done? No, I've got no stamp duty. And, of course, I'd already paid a big deposit on exchange, so I, I can't walk away from this. And I remember ringing my dad again. I said, I don't suppose there's any chance. And he, and he was like, son, no, absolutely not. We, you know, mum and dad used that money to pay off our house, and no. And he asked, what, what have you done? And I told him. And he went, he, you know, bear in mind this was my business. It wasn't my dad's, but he went, mad at me so what if you, you're going to do it all because of your greed and you've, you've, you've bitten off one you can chip but what I remember I had I had a reserve account with a, with about 30,000 which was my VAT on the Bath yeah. business and the VAT was due any day at that point but I remember thinking well I had no choice I had to use the VAT money as the stamp duty completely on the building which really annoyed me because I was looking forward to celebrating buying this building but of course there was a business suite element to it because the day I, I completed on it I was now in arrears with VAT, which I'd never really been in since Salisbury, the first year of Salisbury. And that was a real failure thing to me. I wasn't happy with that at all. And it it took me a good 14, 15 months to catch up on that VAT. It was a bit of a lesson. I remember HMRC in those days, they would send people in to you on a monthly basis to... You know, see what you're up to, and I buy know, they used to send people in. Yeah, if you ever, if you weren't on time, yeah, it was terrible. Did um, yeah. something that you said that's really interesting there. 
really, really interested. You said your dad said it was because of your grade. Now, yep. I don't think that it was because of your grade, right? And, and no, it wasn't about that. Yeah. No. And I know that you won't think that, but I think yeah. that a lot of people think that. A lot of people think that it's just about the money when you're no. a business owner. But the reality is most of the time it's not about the money. And most of the time from the outside, people think you've got more money than you have. Yeah. But it's not actually about the money. Yeah. I'd like to hear that in that moment, if you go back, he was saying it was about the grid. What was it actually about? What do you think? It, it was about, um, I was trying to um, copy my mentor, Tony Moscone, because I could see oh, yeah. how his life was uh, sort of planning out financially. And it was because he was buying these buildings. And, you, you just know, knew I, it was, this is the right move. That was it, more... just, it just it said to me that's the successful route you should go down because you can stay here and carry on renting it for 30000 35000 a year for the next 15 years of your life, or you could actually own it in the next 15 years. You know, bear in mind when I bought it, it wasn't making me any money. It was costing me more. My, my profits suffered because of the, the mortgage. I wanted to do the loan over 10 years. So, you know, I actually ended up earning less. Yeah, because I bought that building. So it, no, it was never about the green. But I think my dad, he always had this thing. And said you should stop at two shops. You shouldn't go on and do more. But I, I, I would say, why? You know, why not? Why, why not open more? You know, as soon as I got over that bath hurdle and, and I caught up on the VAT fourteen, fifteen months later, the next thing I did was buy the Salisbury building. And I did it exactly the same way. I got got it through the skin of my teeth. Used the VAT money, do the stamp duty, and. But I, I just knew if I could do this, it, it would it would make my business career, give it a more longevity. And it's just seemed the right thing to do. It, it, yeah. it didn't seem wrong. My only regret, you know, having the franchise, um, so when we got to about 2005 and, and you could see wage costs were going up, rent costs were going up, utilities were going up, everything was going up. So your, your turnover wasn't. Your turnover had sort of plateaued. You got it to a level. And, yeah. and of course, your your overhead. So your profits were getting less and less and less. And this was why I decided to come out of it. In you know, so I, I paid off that that overdraft that the bank called in, and um, I thought, you know what, I've got to get out of this. I can't live with the bank having a the charge on my house. That's the one thing that I have got from all this. If it all goes wrong, I've got my house and my, my children can grow up in the house. Yeah. And um, so I started selling off the businesses. I I sort of predicted back then that this whole thing is just going to get worse. Yeah. Because I saw how the banks got away with what they did, yeah. and they got away with it. You know, there was no comeuppance to them, really. So I thought, you know, nothing's going to get any easier. Sure enough, rents continued to rise over the next decade. Wage costs doubled to what I was paying. So I think, again, a little bit of foresight and vision, I did the right thing. And, and to walk yeah. away from a business that was doing around 16 and a bit million quid a year in, in turnover, you know, over 600 staff that we had at one point. Oh, it's lovely that you had them cut up as well. And you, you were, yeah, yeah. I mean, what a, what a lovely way, because most businesses, again, don't do that, right? And you had the ability to, to move them around. That sounds awesome. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, again, it, it was, I was, I was fortunate in that respect that I could sort of carve it up. And, and, you know, I'd sell my shares in, for example, Shrewsbury, my partner in Shrewsbury bought my shares in that one. So that was that taken care of. And by 2010, I'd, I'd got rid of them all, except for Salisbury. My wife, who was operating Salisbury, she wanted to keep it. At the 11th hour, she said, do, do you know what? I, I'm too young to stop work. I would like to keep it. And she did. She kept Tony Guy Salisbury, and, and she still runs it to this day. It's, it's 30 years old this December. I'm proud of what she does. She works really hard. She does make good profit there. But she works really hard for that profit. And, and then back in those days, so 2010, we kept Tony Guy Salisbury, but the rest of them were gone. I cleared the overdraft loan and um, 
and I breathed a huge sigh of relief. And I think that was the turning point where I became a little bit risk averse um, because up until that point, you I just where you wanted to get to, right? I, 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 I. I'd gotten away with it, you know. I didn't lose my house, and I'd managed to keep hold of these freehold buildings. The bank were trying to take off me, you know. They were they were yeah. trying to put obstacles in my way just so they could nick those buildings. I knew it, so I'd, I'd gotten away with it, and I had a bit of a breather. And then I, I went again, so I, I managed to buy out my my contract with Sainsbury's, and I took over this the running of this product business. This this Phil Smith, yeah. it's called Phil Smith Be Gorgeous. I knew the chief executive of Sainsbury's fairly well. Again, opportunity. As soon as I got into Sainsbury's, I sent him a letter. Didn't know who he was. I imagine the chief executive of a, a thing like Sainsbury's would be this sort of elderly man, you know, quite stern. And, but I wrote a letter to him just saying, if you would like yourself or your wife's haircut, please give me a shout. Thank you for the opportunity of, of, of selling products in your store. And, um, and he sent me a lovely letter back saying, that's really kind of you. Why don't you come up to our house? We live in Leamington Spa at the weekend. Come up and... Um, and my wife Claire would love well, here to here. We are relationships again, which is absolutely vital, you know. And uh, you know, when we as we do the the podcast, is is the lessons. I interview so many really fantastic people with fantastic stories, and it does come down to taking risks, building relationships. Absolutely, you know. And the relationships is vital, isn't it? You know. And you've always oh, yeah. had, you've had a relationship with this with Tony from Tony and Guy. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Changed change your life really and set you up in the right way and i imagine yeah. that the relationship has become really important as well you know the whole sort of the amount of celebrities that i managed to get to do over the years all came from building relationships so i'd start off by doing press appointments in london this was in the early 2000s you'd look after sort of like certain business editors from magazines tv uh, producers from yeah. gmtv lorraine kelly we invite them and they all got their hair cut. You know, you work with them for two, three years. They become good friends. And, of course, when a slot came up on Lorraine Kelly, I, I, I was given that. And I, I was Charles Wellington's stand-in for about four years. I, oh, every other week I was on Lorraine Kelly's show. Um, I then did, um, you know, one of my clients, and, and she remains a good friend now. She worked in the Sunday Express magazine. Um, she invited me along to do a shoot for Tess Daily for the cover of the magazine. Got on really well with Tess, which then led to me doing Vernon. And, you know, Tess and Vernon, to this day, remain great friends. Obviously, I haven't seen them in the last couple of months, but I, I saw them just before Christmas. Well, just, yeah, just before Christmas. And so that's how a relationship you, – and, and the trouble that a lot of young people now, they want in quickly. You know, yeah. It takes years to build these relationships. And um, I think if you do it with the, with the passion and, and the, the heart and you want to be genuine friends with people, then it works. The funny thing of Justin King at Sainsbury's, so when I turned up at their, their door on a Saturday morning in Leamington Spa, this beautiful country house. This woman opened the door, who was obviously his wife, and uh, and she went, Phil, and I, Claire, and she was in the year above me at school. <laughs> just like that, you think, my God, what are the chances? Yeah. And, um, I, I knew her vaguely at school. I didn't know her well, but I knew her name, and, and we sort of, I, I knew a couple of her good friends. So they became great friends again, Justin and Claire, and. Um, to the point where I managed, you know, Justin invited me to his 50th birthday party, which was a lovely private affair. And there were some great people there that I've that met, you know, hugely successful people in their industries. So it, it just gave me that sort of platform to get going a little bit more. You know, opportunities that came from that were uh, Stephen Perdue, who owns Shantney's. Yeah. Um, it, it never happened in the end, but we spent about two years working together trying to do a, a Phil Smith for Shantney's hair care range. Because he had this great spa range that he'd sold in, in those days in Sainsbury's. From that point, 
it just sort of progressed and, and I got to know people that would be at his spas. And the product business now, how long have the product yeah. been in operation? Been so 15 years this year. The brand has been out there. And I've got to say, you know, touch, touch with it. It's, it's been a great journey. It's, definitely, it's very different to what I was used to because it's all about, you know, we, we started off with nine products in the range and there's now over 100 so we do accessories. And the branding um, looks uh, great, right? The branding looks great. You know, I you like it. I yeah, yeah, really I mean, well, they, they stood out, you know, they were direct. And, uh, right, you know. I, I think that's probably the most important thing. You know, yeah. you, you, when, when you're in a supermarket, you know, people are walking up and down the aisle. You've got them for literally split second. Yeah. And if something catches their eye, they go to it, and then they take it off, they smell it. And if you've got those two things right, then they'll look at who it's by and, and they'll, yeah. they'll buy into it. That was always my thing. We, we've literally just relaunched the brand again, as in redesigned all the packaging and to be, you know, super sustainable. And that, that's been in the planning for like three and a bit years. So, and it's, it takes that long to get it there. So we literally, it launched on the 28th of this month, uh, Wednesday, yesterday, officially. It's been out for about two months, but yeah. in all the same stores, it, it's now out there. But we, we started about six months ago on the next redesign. Oh, wow. Before, even before this one was finished, we've started on the next one as to where, you know, the packaging's going. So the, the products, uh, like, like I say, it, it was one of those things where I, I was given this opportunity. But the difference is this was mine, solely mine. And, you know, no one had a, a, a steer on what I had to do. So I did have to invest uh, quite a bit of money back into it. And, and I was using money that do I you thought... Feel, would, that's an interesting question. Do you feel more proud of it? Because yeah. You do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I still have these stupid little pinching moments when I go into stores, and I, which I always do. I have to do that on, on a regular basis for my own peace of mind that it's there and it's presented right. And but why wouldn't you? You know, you know, not everybody gets this opportunity, so you should never take it for granted. I think that's that's another key point as well. Is take nothing for granted in life. And I think this this whole pandemic over this last year has taught us that. You know, things like just going to the pub in the evening to have a drink. Yeah. A year ago, you said, oh, you know what, I, I can't be bothered tonight. Whereas now, you could give anything to go and sit in a pub and, yeah, and have a drink. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, yeah, so great advice. What, what would you yeah. say to um, business owners that have been listening, Phil? Is, is your, you know, you had such a, a great career, and, and that's really two very successful endeavors in the product range and also in the hairdresser, the franchise world as well. You know, people that, are, and, and multiple other things. What would your kind of advice be for business owners looking to to go and build their businesses? What would you say to them, you know, from from you? What would you encourage them to do? What would kind of the things that looking? Do you, know, do you know what I think? The the hardest thing is the knockbacks you get and the setbacks because the you know they come at you so frequently. You, you'll know this. <laughs> they do. You know, yeah, yeah. And it's nice that we can laugh about it. But I think those that survive in business, they take the knockbacks, but they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. Because you, and, and it, there's no get rich quick thing, is there? I mean, I would love to find well, it. Well, look, you know, <laughs> I think that there's better industries than others, i.e. Yeah. more profitable industries. Like I was in the yeah. car business for, you know, I had a car business for 10 years and we, I got the business to forty million a year in revenue. But it was a three cool. percent net profit, right? So three yeah. percent net profit. And and when you look at all the moving parts to make three percent, you know that can easily go to two percent, 
and actually it can easily go 3% the other way, right? So you've got such small margins for operation. So I certainly don't agree there's a a get rich, as you said, you know, there isn't a get rich quick, but I think there's better industries to be in. And, you know, and and as you said about the salon business, like you're, you're saying the salon business, you saw those margins squeezing. Now, yeah. imagine that the product business, or you don't have to go too deep into that, but I imagine it's a more uh, lucrative in a, in a way, right? You know, to- well, the, the, the sort of product business that I do is, is volume. It's, it's all based yeah. on volume. And we manufacture 50,000 products at a time of each regime, you know, and I get orders through from Sainsbury's, you know, one day it's 10,000 units, another day it's 28,000 units. And so it's fast moving. So if you, if you get your margins right, you've got to keep working on your margins. And sometimes it's, it's out of your control. You know, for example, at the moment, uh, pumps on, on products, there's a worldwide shortage of pumps. So the cost of pumps has rocketed. It's kind of different hurdles to deal with. Because like a lot of ways, the product is Brexit's been really yeah. massively impacting them as well. Be good for me, Brexit. I mean, we've had more interest this year on international business I've ever had in the, the 10 years I've been doing this. Oh, wow. And li- literally, far afield is Australia, so new territories, Australia, Finland, South Africa, and US. Um, oh. I had a, a, a great meeting about two weeks ago where they've, they've gone ahead and, and placed their first order. So it's just phenomenal. And, and anything with, with the word England on it, you know, one of my ranges is called Smith England. So you've yeah. got Smith, which is the most common Western name, I think, in the, in the world, and, and England on it. That's getting great traction overseas, not so much here. But overseas, you know, there's that, that big expat community as well in, in some of these territories. So that's been good. But I mean, it's interesting you say about um, some industries are better. Uh, a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends, he's in telecoms. Yeah. And, um, that's a good industry. And, uh, right? yeah. <laughs> it's not an easy win, but he, he makes an absolute fortune. And sometimes I just, you know, put my head in my hands after a hard day. And, you know, I only really realized this when I went into training businesses, though, because I've been training businesses for five years and yeah. I've been every industry like i've worked with so many different industries and then yeah. you look at some and you're like oh my god what a fantastic industry you still got yeah. it it's not easy but i don't mean any no. said at the beginning nothing's easy but there are some that you know in telecoms i've seen some some fantastic businesses in telecoms well so some of our big success stories of, of uh, entrepreneurs have come via telecoms you know i mean you look at john cordwell who's uh yeah exactly uh, yeah yeah Fantastic advert. But then someone who was with John Corbett, which is a great story, and I'm following him quite a lot at the moment, is, is Matty Moulding, who's uh, he's the, the owner of the Hut Group. Right. And uh, he set that business up to basically um, uh, distribute CDs, D- DVDs. Yeah. And it's become this this massive health and beauty, you know, he's the one who's going to make the biggest dividend a director's ever earned. On, uh, he's going to make about 950 million, I think, in the next few wow. months. It's a great story. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great what they do. And um, again, he sort of fell into it by accident. But, you know, hard work. It's, it's a lovely story. I love anything where, where people uh, do well. So, again, going back, Adam, to my advice to anyone is, you know, you're going to get knocked back a hundred times. Even when you're successful, you get knocked back. But, but you, you just, you know, your, your love of, of winning and your love of success and, and seeing other people succeed just keeps you going. So don't, you know, don't take it as, as you know, as failure. Yeah, it's a knockback, and, and and you know you learn from it, and you, you move on, and always be prepared to work. You know, super hard. You know, no eight nine hour days. Uh, they don't exist. Every day is a long day, but you should enjoy it because um, you're doing exactly what you want to do, and you've got your own destiny in your your own hands. And it's much better to be in your hands. 
But when, when my time with Tony and Guy was, was great and it, and it was a fantastic platform to get me going, it gave me the ability to borrow money so yeah. I could buy the buildings and, and you know, and, yeah. and take, take me here. But you can't beat the feeling of, of actually owning something and, and, and doing something for yourself. So, you know, for, um, Arnold, what, what's next for you then, would you say? You know, Phil? What, what? Oh, um, <laughs> do, do you know what? Two years ago, I, I was looking to exit. And, um, you know, we, we had a, a decent offer from a well-known uh, uh, retailer to buy the brand. And something just flicked me to say, don't do it. You're not ready just yet. And I'm so glad I didn't because I've had a taste of life, what life would be like in a sort of semi-retired state over this last year. Yeah. Where there's just nothing to do. I don't think I could ever retire now. So I, I love what I do. I want growth. You know, I've, I've got something that's done well. There's been quite a few hairdressers that have done really well out of products. When they did exit, they, they made huge amounts of money. Um, I would love to, you know, have a legacy where I, I was the best one. I got the biggest offer. I don't know if I'll get there, but um, I'm going to have a bit of fun trying. Um, at the moment, we are on a we're on a growth path, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying life. So, what's next is just yeah. I, I hope I'm blessed with the ability to carry on enjoying what I do, and I'll certainly keep working hard to achieve that. Oh, brilliant! Well, look, it's been it's been amazing chatting to you. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure the audience has really really enjoyed it. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me along, Adam. Hey everybody, Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.